Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Hello and welcome to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here, where we ponder life from a biblical perspective, where salt makes us thirsty and light exposes darkness. Come, let's ponder these things together. Last week, we finished Revelation chapter 6, and that was quite a difficult season for those that were left on earth and did not, were not raptured in Revelation chapter 4 at the beginning. Chapter 5 and 6 were filled with judgments on the earth, and it was one thing after another. And here in chapter 7, as we start today, it's kind of like a breather before we head into deeper things and more judgment. In chapter 6, we saw the four horsemen, and then we saw those that were slain during the tribulation period so far, who were given white robes and told to wait just a little longer for more of their brothers and sisters to arrive. And there were earthquakes, and the sun became black, and the moon became red like blood. The stars fell from the sky to the earth, just like figs falling off of a tree in a wind. The sky vanished like a scroll that was being rolled up, and the mountains and the islands were being removed from their places. They were falling down. In verse 15 of chapter 6, we saw that the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the, of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Yeah, we're left with this question at the end. Who can stand with all of that going on around? And we mentioned last week that even though all these things are going on, God is still in control. If God doesn't intervene, step in at the last second, mankind will destroy themselves. It is his mercy again and again that we see in these chapters. So chapter 7 begins with four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, and they're holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind will blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. And then he saw, John saw another angel rising from the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to those four angels who were given the power to harm the earth and the sea, but he said, wait, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Some say that these four winds of the earth may be the four horsemen that were mentioned earlier in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, as they were told to go out into all the earth and they were called the four spirits of heaven. Spirits in that passage was translated in the Hebrew word rauch, actually German rauch is smoke, 
but it can also be translated as winds. So even though the horsemen are headed out to accomplish the things that they are told to do, they are still controlled by God and told to wait until those that are on the earth that are supposed to be sealed on their forehead are sealed. They're set apart. Now at this point, I have to mention that in the Old Testament, when God came upon someone in the Old Testament, um, he poured out his spirit on that person like he did on David or onto Abraham or onto Moses. In the New Testament is when we received the Holy Spirit and it, the Holy Spirit came upon all the believers in the book of Acts. So Jesus said when he left, he would send us a comforter and that is the Holy Spirit. So right now, that Holy Spirit is inside of each and every believer during this church age, which we're almost at the end of. And when that happens, when the church age comes to an end, the Holy Spirit, or we will be leaving and heading to heaven, and the Holy Spirit will be leaving with us. And then evil will be all over the earth. It will not be held back but they're in God's mercy again here he sends his Holy Spirit on a hundred and forty four thousand people special people but they will be working in the power of God his spirit will no longer be amongst all the believers on earth but just among those hundred and forty four thousand Again, this brings me comfort because I know God will never lose me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. His Holy Spirit is inside of me. I am sealed with his Holy Spirit. These 144,000 ones that are sealed with the Holy Spirit come out of the 12 tribes of Israel. In verse 3, it's said that, they are sealed servants of God on their foreheads. And John said he heard the number of them that were sealed were 144,000. And they all came from the 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 each from the tribes of Judah and Reuben and Gad and Asher, Nephali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph and Benjamin. In our day, there are some that come to our door and say that they are part of that 144,000, but they would need to be one of the 144,000 male Jewish men that are sealed by God. Not to mention that the rapture would already be over and they would be partway into the tribulation, the first half of the tribulation period, the three and a half years before the great tribulation of the second three and a half years. I've had some people ask me about their loved ones. If they decide not to accept Jesus now during this church age, will they still have an opportunity in the tribulation period? Well, yes. However, the consequences will be different. Right now, we can ask for forgiveness, bow before Jesus and accept his free gift, and then enter into heaven with him. However, those 
that have another opportunity in the tribulation period as some say they will and some say they won't so i wouldn't wait until then but even god in his mercy makes a way for some to make a decision at that time but the cost will be their life they will have to be martyred to leave this earth and head towards heaven if they're not strong enough now to just accept a free gift oh it's going to be a lot tougher later when you have to lay down your life to walk into the doors of heaven as we continue in verse 9 we see the numberless multitude it says after this john says i beheld and lo there was a great multitude which no man could number there were so many from all the nations and the kindreds and the people and the tongues that stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and they all cried with a loud voice saying salvation to our god which sitteth upon the throne and unto the lord everyone in attendance is worshiping god because he is worthy to be worshiped sometimes here on earth we kind of take worship and our life in jesus for granted i'm saved i got my fire insurance when it's time to go okay but for now i'm gonna live my own way no god wants us to be pleasing to him he created us to worship him anyway those in attendance are not taking for granted their opportunity to worship god at that moment all the angels stood around the throne and joined in and the elders and the four living creatures and they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped god and they said to him, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then, of course, the question has to come up. Who are these all dressed in white robes and where did they come from? Sir, you know, he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the martyred believers from the great tribulation portion, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. They have gone through a lot. We'll see that in future chapters. This is kind of that oh parentheses chapter in between five and six and what's coming kind of that breather if you feel like you can get a breather in between all of this judgment there are times of revival that are scheduled during our days big tent meetings here and there but this is not the same these are the great multitude of people that are coming out of the great tribulation the worst that the world has ever seen this foreshadows what's to come in the future chapters and because of that some scholars call this the greatest revival that will ever happen and it's yet to come these ones that are in white robes that have washed themselves clean in the blood of the lamb let me make clear, it's not their own martyrdom 
that makes them worthy of coming to heaven. It is the work of Jesus that they believe in their hearts and what he's done for them, that he died, he rose again, and he is waiting for us. It's not a work that they did in and of themselves. So now these saints are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. It is the last of the bride that is coming to join Jesus. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more. They won't thirst any more. The sun won't hit their skin any more. There'll be no more heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Those are some precious words to those martyred saints who will read about in the future all the ugliness that they went through. In heaven, the redeemed enjoy presence with God, and they can come right into his throne room and be with him. There's no barrier. There's no waiting line. There's nothing to stand between them and visiting with God. But these saints, when they were on earth, as Spurgeon said, these saints knew affliction on earth and they triumphed over it. But it wasn't their affliction that saved them. It was Jesus and their relationship of faith with him. Affliction of itself does not sanctify anyone, but the reverse. I believe in sanctified afflictions, but not in sanctifying afflictions. And then he who sits on the throne, Jesus, will dwell among them. In heaven, God will dwell with his people. This is the ultimate fulfillment of King David's great desire in Psalm 27, 4, that says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And here we see a little bit more of what those tribulation saints went through. In verse 16, we continue. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb is in the midst of the throne and will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Those that have been forgiven much, love much, and they will be loving God forever and ever and worshiping him. Now, there will also still be some of those that have gone through the tribulation period, some of Israel that survive all the catastrophes on earth, and they will head into the thousand-year millennium after the tribulation period. I know the trials that I've gone through this week are nothing compared to oh, what all of this would be if I were to have to go through the Great Tribulation period. I am thankful that I have friends and family that, when need be, they can wipe away my tears and encourage me. And I pray that you have the same. But one day, one day when we stand before God, there will be no more crying in heaven, no more sorrows, nothing like that in his presence. He will wash it all away. 
There will be no more memory of the pain that we went through here on earth, but we will be in his presence forevermore to worship him, to spend time with him, to be with the lover of our soul. Matthew Henry had something to say about these elders. He says, a question asked by one of the elders, not for his own information, but for John's instruction. Uh, ministers may learn from the people, especially from the aged and experienced Christians. The lowest saint in heaven knows more than the greatest apostle in the world. Now the question has two parts. One is, what are these that are arrayed in white robes? And two, where did they come from? It seems to be spoken of by way of admiration, he says, in Song of Solomon 3, 6, that says, What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense and with all the fragrant powders of the merchants? Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness? It's faithful Christians that deserve our notice and respect, and we should mark the upright. Our journey through chapter 7 of Revelation has been a very somber one. As chapter 8 begins, we see the seventh seal and the golden censer. Verse 1 starts, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. A lot has been going on during the time before this, and all of a sudden there's silence. And I know there's much conjecture about why this happens amongst all the commentators throughout the centuries. I think the best explanation I've ever heard is from, well, I think this man's name shall remain anonymous, but the best explanation I ever heard from him was this half hour of silence in heaven was due to the fact that there are no women in heaven. Just checking to see if you're still listening. But seriously, after that half an hour of silence in heaven, we see the seven angels standing before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Okay, I'm going to go down a rabbit trail to help explain something here. Growing up in a house with five children, you know there's always going to be something going on. And of course, when that something was something that mom did not agree with, you knew you were going to be in trouble. And when the four of us saw number five doing something they shouldn't be doing, we knew how mom was going to react. So the four of us would almost take a breath in and stand there with our eyes bugged out in complete 
silence, knowing exactly what was coming. And ooh, number five was going to get it. Thankfully, as children, we learned obedience. But here, in chapter eight, we see a time where those that have not been obedient to God Almighty are going to get it. I'm not happy they're going to get it, but I don't have any control over that. I only have control over my own choices. It all started with Adam and Eve. When Adam plucked that fruit right off the tree and chose his own way, it just hasn't stopped since. Every single one of us need to make a decision on whether we're going to choose life or whether we're going to choose death. Verse 6 continues, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown onto the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now remember, this is a continuation of the seals that were opened in chapters 5 and 6. This is the number 7 seal. So the martyrs that are in heaven already are not subject to what's going on right here. But those that are still left on earth are still getting more judgment to try and get them to turn their heart around, to repent, to ask for forgiveness. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. A third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Oh, no wonder the martyrs were happy to be in Christ's presence by living water and no more sun on their bodies. The name of the star that fell onto the earth here in verse 11 was Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. It's dark. It's scary. Things are falling out of the sky. People are dying. The grass, the sea, the trees, everything is dying. Well, not everything yet. And verse 13, Then I looked, said John, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Again, you ain't seen nothing yet, world. We are not in the tribulation period. But there is something coming, and there are warnings upon warnings upon warnings within that first three and a half years, and then the second three and a half years, and then in between each of the judgments, God is still sending warnings. Here, an eagle 
cries with a loud voice across the sky and is overheard, Woe, woe, woe to you that dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets. And these three are about to come. There's still more judgment coming. Will you not turn back to God? Will you not give your heart, surrender your heart to him? He loves you. You who are here on earth right now, you don't have to go through all of this. Again, this is made for our comfort at this moment. It's to let us know that God loves us. Yes, there is judgment, but he's holding that off. He's mercifully waiting for us to come to him in surrender. As I think back on Genesis in the garden, when Adam pulled that fruit off of the tree and ate of it, and all of a sudden, they knew they were naked. They knew they had sinned. And then when God came to spend time with them in the evening, he didn't come with a stern voice. He didn't come angry at them. He called out to them and said, Adam, where are you? Adam, why are you hiding? God knew full well where they were and what they had done, but he was still like a loving parent, giving them an opportunity to repent, to admit to what they had done, that they had turned their back on God and that they disobeyed him. Why is it so hard for us to turn our hearts back towards God instead of going in our own direction? Self-will, I suppose. Wanting to be in control, wanting to be in charge of our own life. Well, I guess you can. You have that option. But see where it leads? This is what God is trying to tell us. It leads to a place and a time of utter judgment. And still, at the end of chapter 8, there is still time for people to repent. I should mention something here that Leon Morris wrote about the seals and the trumpets and these judgments. He says, how do the seals and the trumpets relate to each other? Some people believe they are poetic and repetitive, and John describes the same events with different words and details in both the seal and the trumpet judgments. This is typical of John's method, he says. He goes over the ground again and again, each time teaching us something new. There is more to the end than we can readily take in. Every series of visions brings out new facets of it. And yet another commentator says, for example, the people of Revelation 6, 15 to 17, are they mistaken about Jesus's return? They don't seem to be, but if the trumpets simply follow in sequence to the seals, then it is a striking display of God's mercy in stretching out the end and allowing repentance. And before I end here, I really need to talk about the prayers. The prayers in this chapter are from all the saints throughout the ages that have been held in God's hands. And now in the hands of these angels. In his word, God says that he hears all of our prayers. He bends down low to listen to us when we pray, and he catches our tears in a bottle. Every single prayer that we have ever prayed will now be interceded by the incense of Christ. 
Our prayers are lifted up to God with that incense. Don't think for a moment that your prayers are not important and that they are not answered because they are. Here, God will give the answers. And as he tosses these onto the earth, this judgment, the answer to some of these prayers of all the believers throughout the ages that were suffering under the hands of evil ones is now causing voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake as they are tossed towards the earth. Matthew Henry says these were the answers God gave to the prayers of the saints and just tokens of his anger against the world and that he would do great things to avenge himself and his people of their enemies. And now, all things being thus prepared, the angels discharge their duty. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. At the time of this recording, there is still time to bow the knee, to surrender your heart, and to accept the free gift of Jesus' precious blood to wash your sins away. Read John 3.16 and talk to God and listen to him. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart now, before it's too late. 